Good morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to Easter. Are you ready for Easter? It's, it's here. It is getting nice outside. Of course, it's Ohio, which means it might snow tonight. And then it might be 70 tomorrow. But whatever it is, we are glad uh, that you are here. We are glad to celebrate Easter Sunday. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And in God's word, in the gospel of Mark, New Testament, Matthew and Mark, Mark's account of the resurrection, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead and the events afterwards, it reveals a couple of powerful small words. So I want to point you there. Mark chapter 16, it opens with women who are coming to the tomb and they're ready to anoint Jesus' body for burial. And when they get there, they find that the tomb is empty because Jesus had risen. And as they get to the tomb, they see an angel. An angel announces the resurrection. An angel lets them know Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. And then in Mark 16, verse 7, we read this. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch the two little words? Of course, there's some great words, some great truths just in that verse, but two little words that, that really make quite a difference. It's the words, and Peter. The angel said, go tell his disciples, and Peter. Now, Jesus Christ, if you remember, had been arrested. He had been beaten and whipped and crucified and placed in the tomb, and he rose again. Jesus Christ lives. He's giving information now through the angel to speak, and if it was you or I, maybe we'd have been a little agitated. Maybe we'd have been a little irritated at what had taken place. Everything that we had just gone through, if it was you and I, maybe we would have had that angel say, tell the disciples and, uh, and Herod. <laughs> yeah, let Herod know how you like me now. I'm alive. Tell the disciples and Pilate I live. Uh, better yet, tell the disciples and the religious leaders. The religious leaders who were rising up, uh, stirring up the people up against me, let them know I'm alive. Better yet... Tell the disciples and every single person who shouted and chanted, crucify. Let them know I'm alive. Now, if that was you or I, maybe some of that irritation and frustration would come out. But this is Jesus speaking, having the angel speak to the women. He says, tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus knew Peter had fallen and failed rather miserably. We're going to check it out in just a little bit. He knew that Peter needed some encouragement. Peter needed a second chance. And so he said, through the angel, tell the disciples and Peter. Anybody ever wished you had a second chance? Anybody ever blown it big time? Let me, let me tell you, certainly as, as pastor, I blow it. As husband, father, etc. Uh, rather recently, I blew it pretty good. Let, let me tell you about it. I forgot a pretty important date. Some of you are saying, uh-oh. It's not the one you're thinking of. I remember that one. Anniversary, up here. 
No, I forgot another date. I, I forgot a birth date. Now, you know, in my defense, it's been a pretty crazy month, month and a half. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been wild. I had some great opportunities. I went to Houston uh, for a, a week, Church Multiplication Network Conference, a bunch of other pastors and leaders from Ohio and around the nation had a great opportunity. I had several different opportunities back and forth to Columbus uh, as a result of being pastor and, and presbyter and, and a, lot of, a lot of family things and, and the girls and this and that and church. You, we've, maybe you've heard we've had some uh, issues and challenges with our our ceiling it's all completed foyer it's all finished but it's been busy and in, in the midst of all of that you know we've had let's see what have we had we've had multiple repairs on a vehicle leaking a roof leaking the sunroom television went refrigerator went probably some other stuff i forgot it's been busy and unfortunately i missed and did not plan for the birthday of my son I mean, how can you forget the face of a nine-year-old that looks like this? That's our dog, Shadow. Now, in my defense, it wasn't just me. Let me throw Kimmy and the girls under the bus, you know. All of us, we were aware it was coming. It's not that we forgot. We just didn't plan. We just didn't prepare. In fact, we were all here. It was a church work day getting ready for Sunday, after all of our uh, sanctuary issues. And so we got everything ready and set with, uh, with uh, the church, and we head home. We didn't have a party. We did not even wrap up his old toys for him to open again, like we've done in recent years. Now, to be fair, you know, later that night, uh, I think we gave him some carrots. We, we gave him some pumpkin. We let him pick the movie. He picked a, a dog movie. We had family movie night. But we did not have a party. So just to, to rewind, let's show you a few years ago in 2014, it was party time for Shadow, complete with the, the, the little, little party hat. And then there to the right, yeah, that's the picture of this year. In other words, we didn't get one. In fact, it was, it was a few days later, I don't know, Monday, to, it was like three, four days later, and Autumn said, hey, can we just like get everybody together and take a couple pictures like we had a party? You know what that's called? Cheating? She wanted us to have a second chance. So I blew it, we blew it, Chances are pretty good you've blown it too, right? Maybe you didn't forget, hopefully you didn't forget, you know, your, your actual spouse or human child, the way we've maybe overlooked our, our doggy child. But I would venture to say each and every one of us have messed up. We've said stuff we wish we wouldn't have. We've done things we wish we wouldn't have. Or maybe we didn't say things we should have. Or we didn't do things that we wished we would have. We wished we could have a do-over. We wished we could have a second chance. You're aware of do-overs, right? Back in school, you know, you're playing a game, and you, know, you swing and a miss, and you yell out, do-over! Doesn't matter what it was, you know, the sun was too bright, the, the wind was too strong, you know, you're playing baseball, kickball, basketball, you just yelled, do over, 
And you just start new, start fresh, as if you hadn't just messed up, as if you hadn't just swung and missed. We wish we could have a do-over. We wish we could have a second chance. Maybe some of you, maybe you're still hiding from that mess up, still hiding from that moment or that incident back in your past when you blew it and you blew it good, and it still kind of eats away at you. Might have been a long time ago, but you're still wishing that you had a second chance. Maybe you wonder if there's any hope of redemption. You wonder if you're able to receive a brand new start. Well, the message of Easter is this. It's hope. It's new life. It's a new beginning. And the truth of Easter is very simply this. God is a God of second chances. Let me say that again. God is a God of second chances. So in the Word of God, we were looking briefly at Mark chapter 16. If you're there in your physical copy or maybe digitally, just turn back a little bit to Mark chapter 14. Before we explore maybe his second chance, let's explore the many ways that Peter made a mess. How many of you are good at making messes? Okay, we got some hands. How many of you know someone who's good at making messes? If they're seated next to you, just keep looking straight at me. They'll never know. All right? So we're going to explore just a handful of ways, the many ways Peter made a mess. So Mark chapter 14, first of all, Peter argues with Jesus. Let's stop right there. How many of you know someone who is super good at arguing? They could probably be in the Olympics of arguing. And once again, if they're seated next to you, just keep looking right at me. They'll never know. Arguing. Now, if you argue with a fool, it's rather foolish. If you argue with your spouse, not very wise. But if you argue with Jesus, Son of God, Creator of the universe, what would you call that? Ridiculous, absurd, uh, incomprehensible, dumb, I've heard, right? Here's what it is. Mark 14, verse 27, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and he tells them that they're all going to fall away. And Peter, in verse 29, declares, even if all fall away, I will not. Everybody say it with me. I will not. Maybe you've had someone who told you that they would do something, and you kind of smile as if to say, yeah, right. Show me. Or someone smiled, and, and they told you that they would not do something, and inside you think, yeah, right, you, you, you probably will. Here's Peter. Jesus said all of the disciples are going to fall away. Peter says, absolutely not, I won't. In verse 30, Jesus answered, today, yes, even tonight... Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter said, I won't do it. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, you'll do three times tonight before the rooster crows twice. Peter doubles down. How many of you, you're, you're ones to double down? You know, someone calls your bluff, and you're like, uh-uh, not me, not me. Peter's doubling down in verse 31, and he insists emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Now notice, 
The next phrase says, all the others said the same. Now we're highlighting Peter, yet all of the disciples said the same. I'm not going to fall away. I'm going to stay true to you as we're getting towards the end of Jesus' life. Peter argued with Jesus. Mess up number one. But next, Peter does something maybe you've done as well. He falls asleep while praying. You ever done that? Uh, I'm seeing some smiles, some nodding of heads. In fact, let me just say, if you are having difficulty sleeping at night, some of you take some you know, medication, some sleep aids. I got one that's for free. Get out of bed. Kneel down beside your bed if you're physically able to and begin to pray. Chances are really good. You might start to feel sleepy. So we, we read this and we think, okay, maybe I can identify with him here. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have argued with Jesus, but I might have fallen asleep while praying. Verse 37 Jesus and his disciples now, they are headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's asked his disciples to pray with him, and so he returns and found them sleeping. It's at night, they're sleeping, and he says, Simon, Simon Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Now, some of you hear that, and you say, an hour? What in the world could you possibly talk about for an hour? That is a pretty good-sized prayer time. But he's asking his disciples to pray. They fell asleep. He says, watch and pray that you would not fall into temptation, verse 38. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, note, Peter was not the only one who fell asleep. But Jesus was connecting and communicating, speaking to him. He had already argued with Jesus. Now he's fallen asleep while praying. Unfortunately, he graduates or ascends into something a little worse. It's assault with a deadly weapon. Look at it. Mark chapter 14, verse 47. They're praying. A bunch of guards and individuals are coming in to arrest Jesus. And it says, then one of those standing near, one. Well, John's gospel in John 18, 10 confirms it was Peter. All right? So Peter, who had argued with Jesus, who had fallen asleep, draws his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Assault with a deadly weapon. I mean, 25 years ago in June of 1997... Mike Tyson bit the ear of Evander Holyfield in a boxing heavyweight match. I mean, it was probably a, an inch or so, a chunk of the ear. The, the match was stopped. He was disqualified, I think thrown out of boxing for a while. In, in this particular case, Peter's not chewing it off. He's almost kind of going full ninja on him. Now, can you imagine wielding a sword... Not to the point where he's kind of, you know, chopping the head off, but skilled enough that he kind of slices the ear off. Assault with a deadly weapon. Now, Luke's gospel, Luke 22, records that Jesus follows up and touches the man's ear and heals it. Peter, everywhere he goes, stumbling, bumbling, and failing, and Jesus is kind of coming along beside and, and afterwards and trying to help pick up the pieces. Jesus is arrested in the garden. He's, he's brought into this trial. And so Peter, who's argued with Jesus, fallen asleep while praying, assaulted with a deadly weapon, 
Peter's now following at a distance. Remember Peter who said, I won't fall away. I'm with you, Jesus. He was with him, but at a distance. You ever gotten into trouble and your friends tell you, man, I got your back. I got your back. And you look at them, you're like, yeah, way, way back. In other words, they're not that supportive of you. They're, they're kind of in it with you, but, you know, they're, they're, they're back a ways. That's what we read here in Mark 14, 54. It says, Peter followed at a distance, note this, right into the courtyard of the high priest. It was the high priest's servant whose ear Peter just chopped off and that Jesus had healed. Probably another reason why he's following at a distance. He's maybe into a little bit of enemy territory. So he follows at a distance, and then we get to what many have heard. It's some of the infamous part of the story of Peter. It's what Jesus prophesied and predicted he would do. He denies Jesus. Maybe you've done something like what we're about to see. First of all, Peter then denies being with Jesus. Look in verse 66. It says, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. Now, have you ever been at a, maybe a ball game? It could be middle school, high school, college, professional. And maybe there's a fellow fan who's gone overboard. Maybe a, a bit too boisterous. Let's leave it at that, right? I mean, they are yelling and screaming. And you ever had that time when maybe you kind of took your colors, you know, your school colors or team colors and you're kind of trying to cover up, or you take that hat and kind of lower it over your head, or you kind of scoot over a little bit, hoping that people don't realize you're really with them. I'm rooting for the same team that person is, but they've just gone overboard. They're saying, you are one of them. And this servant girl said, you're, you're one of them. You were with him. You know, the one that just got arrested, Jesus was arrested, put on trial, and what does he say? He just, he doesn't say no. He says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Now, typically, when someone says, I don't know what you're talking about, they typically very clearly understand exactly what you're talking about. They just try to use a whole lot of words to try to confuse you or overcompensate their words to convince you otherwise. What, you, you mean the lamp is busted, Mom? I don't know what you're talking about, Mom. I mean, it would be like if somebody were playing, I don't know, football inside, but no one would ever play football inside, Mom, because that would just be silly, and who knows, but that a lamp might, might fall over, so there's no way that that happened. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, Mom. That's never happened to you, has it? Peter denies merely being with Jesus. Maybe you've denied being with Jesus. Someone says, oh, are you one of those 
Christians? Do you go to that church? Oh, I, it, not, not me, no. Peter denied even being with Jesus. That was his first denial. But next, he denies being one of them. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him there and said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them, and again he denied it. So it's the same servant girl, and she sees him. She's pretty sure he was with Jesus. You ever been somewhere, and you see someone that you think you know, but you're not sure? So how many of you, you kind of, you know, try to do the glance to the side, or, you know, you kind of try to do something, you know, that, that doesn't draw attention, but you want to try to catch a second look? Or you go walk past them, or, you know, you, you take the phone up and take a picture, and then you stare at your camera so you don't stare at them. I'm pretty sure that's so-and-so. It's kind of what this servant girl is doing. She's pretty sure she had seen Peter with Jesus, the one who's just been arrested. And she says, oh, I'm pretty sure that you are one of them. It's not just guilty by association. Now you're guilty exactly like him. How many of you know we can be guilty by association? You're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Maybe you are doing nothing, but somebody else is. You were with them, therefore you're guilty by association. It's a little bit of what's going on. This woman is saying, you were with him, the one who's just been arrested. And first, he says, I don't know or understand. Second, he denies it. But third, he denies Jesus that third time. This time he curses. Verse 70, after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, so the servant girl said it. Servant girl said it a second time. And now you know, all this conversation people probably heard. And now someone else standing by says, well, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. They're saying, I know for sure. Now, in Matthew's gospel, some of the other text mentions about his speech or his accent betraying him. It's not just that you were with him. It's not just that you were one of them. It's not just guilty by association. Now they're saying you sound like, look like, and act like him. How many of you know when it comes to accents, they can be fairly recognizable? Now, we're, we're here in Ohio. Many of you born and raised in, in Ohio or in the Midwest. There, there's a number of states. So in the Midwest, typically... We think we talk right, and everybody else has the accents. That's what us in the Midwest think. What's interesting is if you go to other parts of the country, you're the one with the accent. Because they all talk the same. So we think we talk normal, and everybody else has an accent. But go to the East Coast. New York City, number of different East Coast or New York accents. You'll stand out a little bit. Go to Boston, a little bit of a recognizable accent. Go there, and they think you will talk funny. They'll know you're probably not from there. Go up to Canada or some of the northern uh, United States states. A little bit of a different accent if you go up north. How about go down south? A little bit of an accent, maybe a little bit slower, sometimes a little bit of a drawl. 
And so no matter where you're from, there's this accent, and, and people can kind of pick up a little bit of who you are or where you are or where you're from, and they're saying, listen, you look like and talk like and sound like you're with this guy who was just arrested. So it's not while well, you were with him. It's not that you're one of him or, or, or part of that group, but you look like, sound like, act like him. That's a good question for us. Does that describe us? Do we look like, sound like, and act like Jesus? Have we been with him? Have we been around him? So they accuse Peter of being a Galilean. He's, he's one of them. And in verse 71, he begins to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man you're talking about. Let that sink in. Not very much earlier, Peter was, he was forcefully telling Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to fall away from you. If everyone else falls or fails, not me. And now this very man is the one he's saying, I don't know this man. I don't know the one you talk about. Literally denying Jesus. And then verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, which was this. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling at that moment? How, how forcefully he'd argued, I'll never fail you, I'll never disown you. And now he realizes he's done exactly that three times. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know this man. He's even cursed. And he wept. The the rooster crowing jogged his memory about how he argued with Jesus. I mean, this, if you want to talk about a night to forget, this was a night to forget. Peter had one of those nights. It was a night to forget. Kind of like that night a week or two ago, Will Smith at the Grammys. Night to forget. And here's Peter. And he's saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Oh, I really know him, and I've denied him three times. He failed. He flopped. He floundered. He messed up big time, multiple times, all through this evening. Jesus Christ was sentenced to death, crucifixion, the, the death upon the cross. He's died. He's buried. And again, as we Turn to chapter 16, we see Jesus had risen from the dead. But no doubt all of these things are going through Peter's mind, how he had messed up. And then what does he hear? The angel says to the women, tell the disciples and Peter. Peter, I want to make sure that he knows I'm alive. I have risen. It's the encouragement for Peter, and it's the encouragement for you. It's the encouragement for me. God is a God of second chances. So first of all, let me encourage you with this. Second chances are possible. They're possible in life. A lot of things in life are impossible, but second chances are made possible by God. There's a lot of things we wish we could do over, right? 
You've said things, and as soon as you said it, inside, you just, you kind of feel that twinge. You're like, oh, wish I hadn't said that. When you say something, can you rewind and bring those words back? We wish we could push that rewind button like on a VCR, a CD, streaming television. Once we've said it, once we've messed up, it's awful hard to go back. Peter wants you and I to know, Jesus wants you and I to know that second chances are possible. We've been in the Gospel of Mark. I invite you to turn to John chapter 21. We'll take a look briefly here. At an account of Jesus following the resurrection, he has risen from the dead, and he's spent a couple of different instances meeting with his disciples. And John chapter 21 records one of those. It says that he was meeting the disciples, and and they were out fishing in the boat. They had caught nothing all night. And Jesus asked them, he said, hey, have you caught any fish? And they said, we fished all night and haven't caught a thing. Then Jesus turns to them. He says, hey, go fish on the right side of the boat. This is Jesus, Jesus the carpenter, telling fishermen how to fish. How many of you love it when the public comes in and tells you how to do your job? If you are in kind of public service, guest service, uh, you know, you work in, in, in the people. And someone comes in and says, hey, you know, you might want to do this. That doesn't always go over so well, right? Here's Jesus the carpenter telling grown man fishermen how to fish. Fish on the right side of the boat. As if, you know, there's this line from the boat all the way down and there's not this thing called water that fish are floating through. But Jesus said, drop your nets on the right side. Note to self, God's word in John 21 says they did what he said and they could hardly contain the catch of fish. If you and I want to receive the blessings of God, we've got to be obedient to God. He says, drop your nets on the right side. They do. They catch an amazing set of fish, and they realize it's Jesus. They come in. They see Jesus has prepared fish, and they eat breakfast. Uh, Question for you. How many of you would prefer coffee and donuts? How many of you would prefer fish for breakfast? Okay, let's vote. Coffee and donuts, say aye. How many of you want broiled fish for breakfast? Say aye. One of you. Maybe a fisherman, okay. So he was preparing fish for them, and so he's interacting with them, but he zeroes in on Peter, and in this passage of Scripture, three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you, and he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And in verse 19, he utters two words to Peter, and he says, follow me. Jesus reaches out to Peter with a second chance, that sounds an awful lot like his first chance. Back in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That opportunity, as he heard it for the first time, he left his nets, followed Jesus, became a disciple. And now in the midst of everything he messed up, Jesus yet again says, follow me. 
turn to me, follow me. He gave a second chance. You look back in the Old Testament and throughout the Word of God, there's quite a few individuals who have received second chances. You look at David who had blown it big time. If if there was a Ten Commandment, he probably broke it, right? Lust, adultery, lying, murder. And yet in Psalm 51, there's a prayer of repentance, and he's called a man after God's own heart. How about the prophet Jonah? God instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh. And what did he do? He turned and went the exact opposite direction. God said, go north, he went south. God said, go east, he went west. God said, turn left, he went right. Some of you, that's how you drive. When your backseat driver says, slow down, you speed up. When your backseat driver says, uh, you know, speed up, you slow down. It's a little bit of Jonah. And yet, Jonah chapter 3 says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He too found that a second chance is possible. Second chances aren't necessarily for people who are just simply sorry that they've been caught. They're for individuals who have that change of heart, that truly repentant heart. Second chances can often be rare in our world, but the good news is that with God, there's always an opportunity for a second chance. And so we see through the angels speaking to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. And Jesus shows up to Peter and he says, follow me. He extends that second chance to Peter after he had blown it. Understanding that failure is not fatal. Failure is not final. We can receive a second chance in Christ. Second chances are possible but finally, second chances are personal. What we see is the angel said to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. He wanted him to know personally what was going on. And in John chapter 21, throughout that story, throughout that text, multiple times it says that Jesus spoke to them, meaning the disciples, and that Jesus prepared bread and fish for them. But later on, he, he gets personal. And he speaks directly to Peter. Three times he says, Simon, son of Jonah. He speaks personally to him. I believe he wants you and I to know personally, we've got an opportunity for a second chance. He loves you. He loves you individually, loves you personally, as in extending that opportunity for a second chance to you and to I personally. Now, second chances are personal, but you and I must respond personally. This isn't part of the group rate or family bundle. We like group rates. We like family bundles. But you and I don't get into heaven based on mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. That's the group rate family bundle. No. We, make, we must make sure that our sins are forgiven, that we have responded personally. God, would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? I trust you and I have had some family members or friends or co-workers or classmates that have a relationship with God. That's great, but you and I don't get to heaven based on somebody else's relationship with God. The second chance is there. It's possible. It's personal. He's reaching out to you, reaching out to me, but we are to respond personally.
It's one thing for us to believe in him. It's another powerful message to know that he believes in us. He's reaching out to you and to me with a second chance. God still uses some pretty ordinary people to reach the world. Peter messed up big time. Jesus reached out with a second chance. And Peter proceeded to go on some incredible trips, missionary journeys, leading parts of the New Testament church for Jesus Christ. Did he mess up? You bet. He messed up big time. He blew it big time. He denied Jesus three times in addition to all of the other things we mentioned. Imagine what he felt like. In his heart to to realize, he said, I won't deny you, and yet three times he did. Maybe he felt like a traitor. Maybe he felt like a failure. Maybe he felt like a deserter. But know that no matter what you do, no matter what roads you've traveled or what words you've spoken, how many times you and I might have denied Jesus, he reaches out with that second chance to forgive and to restore. God is a God of second chances. It's a Spanish fable told of a father and son. They had a deep split in their relationship. The son ran away and The father spent months searching for him with no results. Finally, in a last-ditch effort to try to find his son, he put an ad in a Madrid, Spain newspaper. The ad simply read this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. When Saturday arrived, nearly 800 different Pacos had showed up. Why? All were searching for forgiveness. All were searching for love. All were searching for the approval and a second chance from their father. The encouragement is for you and for me that No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've blown it, and we know that we have, God desires to show you love. God desires to reach out to you and to me with forgiveness. Maybe you failed in the past, and you wonder how God could love or forgive or give a brand new start because, boy, Does he really know what you've done? Does he really know what you've said? The answer is yes. But the answer of a second chance is still extended to you and to me. The good news is that God is a God of second chances. He specializes in forgiving and giving fresh starts to those who have fallen and failed. 